Fan drive time. Sports Center 590. The fan. Ben Ennis. Blake Murphy. It's Friday. Sub dog. Not much, man. How are you? I'm all right. That's the thing. I, I That's my greeting. Like, that's my... I, I don't know when it happened, but that's... That's that's how I, I greet people in all... Actually, that's not... I, I was going to say in all aspects. No, I, I, answer the fo- uh, I answer the phone with ahoy hoy. But, like, if I see okay. somebody in person, it's what's up, dog. How do you feel about that? I don't care. Okay, what about ahoy hoy? I mean, it's a Simpsons reference. You're yeah. Gonna, you're going to uh, age yourself with some... Like, that's an early Simpsons reference, too. Yeah. Um. So, obviously, people of, of our age are going to be... Fine with it and understand. Uh, you catch a young person with that. I don't know that they'll. Dude, on the broadcast, they were talking about Rolodexes, which is like it's it's but it's before my era. Although, like, I, I, my parents had a an address book, like a phone number. If you needed it, was in a, an address book, and it was sorted alphabetically by last name. I never had a Rolodex, but yeah, you can't. Can you say Rolodex without? With anybody having any idea if they're under the age of, I guess, 25? No? The answer would be no. I, I mean, I don't think so, but it's also one of those things. It's like Kleenex has become a standard for it. tissue in the same way that, like, I think people get the context of Rolodex. Like, I don't think, I think there are probably a group of people or an age of people who hear the term Rolodex and can contextualize what that means, but don't realize that there is like a physical Rolodex that yeah. that is that that was born from. Well, like yeah, when you're gonna telegraph a pass, like I I never lived in a world with telegraphs, but I <laughs> I know how one works and I know what the reference implies. So. Yeah, and and with that one, young people probably just think that like oh, uh, people are <laughs> like old people are just like misusing. Um, what's the other tele thing? Telephone? Telegram? No. That that is I'm, a telegraph. Telegraph, telegram is the same thing except hologram. The- Jeez. <laughs> My brain is not working. That's all right. Uh good brain day. Yeah. Is it supposed to work? Anyways. Yeah. I have a I have a question for you if that's okay. okay. Yeah, I yeah. You no, usually, no, no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, the I nonsense part of the segment. <laughs> Please take over the nonsense part. Uh so I'm wearing a Toronto Blue Jays hat today. I don't know if like I can do that anymore like i wore it because it was the hat that i grabbed on the way out of the house like i have covered the raptors for years and i don't wear raptors gear other than like the odd free t-shirt i get that i wear to the gym or something like that am i allowed to wear a jay's hat dude it's so funny you mentioned this i was i was having the same thought today because i have because you're wearing your burnt orange yeah uh, that's right button up yeah you're you're a huge fan of just guys who left the office an hour early to get a beer in before they go home. That's your uniform. Oh, is that what this looks like? I no, know. I thought you were gonna say like Texas Longhorns. But yeah. no, I uh, I have I have a work hat now. Like I have a Sportsnet 590 the fan. Like really nice. Like it's a good hat. It's a good hat. I also have some really crappy Sportsnet hats, but this is a good hat. One that I'm not embarrassed to wear, and and I like went out of my way to get it because. Of exactly what you're talking about. Because all my walking around hats are, yeah, sports affiliated. I have a nice Blue Jays uh, fitted hat. But I, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable wearing it to work. So, like, people should know. Maybe we're, there's going to be some Blue Jays conversation in the back half of this program. The the man to my right is wearing a Blue Jays hat. Yeah, it is. And I, I like the way. So, they leave the cameras on sometimes after Kipper and Bourne are out of here. And the way that I'm shadowed with this hat and the lighting in here, you can't see my face at all. It's great. <laughs> I look like when they blur someone out so they could keep secret right. and they like distort their voice and stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, I'm just anonymous sports guy. <laughs> anonymous right Blue Jays fan, it yeah. looks like. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, and, and like I'm fine with it with other teams. Like I don't. I don't think anyone would ever think anything of it when I wear like my Seattle Kraken hat or my Chicago White Sox hat. It's just the Toronto sports thing. Yeah. All right. We'll keep that in mind. No, I, 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 I definitely have thought that like I can't do anything without like serious for like thinking on everything, and it's 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 a it's a challenge for me to get mm-hmm. through day to day activities because I I put probably way too much thought into things like putting a hat on my head to go to work. But yeah, I, I don't do it. Uh, that's I, we need to get you one of the the, the great hats that I have. So Although that's embarrassing if we both come in here wearing the same hat. I promise you, I would not be wearing a, a Sportsnet hat on the same day as you because okay. I would not be wearing that hat. Oh, um, now you now it feels like you're insulting me. Nah, I just uh, I don't know. Like I guess when I worked for the Athletic, I had an Athletic hoodie, but even that was like a gym mm. thing. It, it feels like a uniform when I put it on yeah. and come in here. Our, our boss, Dan Toman, is always wearing Sportsnet 590, the fans. Yeah, why. but he, you, you explained why. You said our boss. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. No one, like if, if Mark Shapiro walks in here with a Jays hat on, no one's going to say anything to him. No, it's a good point. He's going to be like, yeah, what, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, uh, have you seen the stop? Like, yeah. of course I'm a fan of yeah, the 200-level the the concourse um, <laughs> specific hat. Uh, no, but, but yes, I understand you being overthinking everything. Uh, I, I'm going to share something personal. It's sports, it's sports related though. Um, so some friends and I have an MMA group chat Mm -hmm. and when MMA was, or when the UFC was temporarily not something you could bet on here in Ontario, we came up with the idea of what would a fantasy UFC league look like? Mm -hmm. So I designed one and we did the draft last night. And then I couldn't sleep last night. Uh, so the other people in the league woke up this morning to a Google Sheets that is all perfectly conditionally formatted. Holy everything auto fills. Uh, everything is just beautiful um, because I couldn't sleep. And that's what Dude. I did with it. So the overthinking things uh, I get. The <laughs> being an idiot I get. I just... Yeah, so like I'm, I, not, I'm people know I'm a spreadsheet guy. Like the Raptors cap stuff, it, it was like a mini joke on with some Jays Twitter people during the Blue Jays season. That oh, I just kind of pivoted over and started doing Blue Jays spreadsheets. Yeah, but no, I will do that. Like that is that soothed me. That was my version of ASMR. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I've I've tried ASMR I a couple it. times lately. I, I can't, it. I can't get there with it my wife got me into it a lot of soap cutting in our house um yeah i would i would say my overthinking things and wearing a sportsnet branded hat as opposed to a blue jays hat not uh positively affecting the world i think you doing work like you're 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 impacting the world i I would say not as positively if say you were not working in sports and like you were i don't know yeah if i actually use my brain for something good yeah worthwhile to the world right and you didn't play in the the sandbox of life but yeah. yeah, that's 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 helpful to but people. But I was almost down that path, and I didn't like it. <laughs> All right, so let's let's play in the sandbox then. All right. Today's... Oh yeah, you, you know who? Uh, yeah, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to do that transition. All right. Um, today's top story is uh, Leafs are the best Canadian team in the National Hockey League. Oh, we're going with the Leafs. Okay. Okay. Why? You want to do Raptors first? Well, I thought you were going with. You mentioned the sandbox. I thought someone left a t- turd in the sandbox. <laughs> uh, the Raptors blow another one last night. Although I guess for for someone like you, that's again the perfect game. It's the perfect Oklahoma City Thunder game. It's the perfect Orlando Magic or Detroit Pistons game where 
uh, you're good for the most part. The young guys look good, and oh no, I dropped it. Yeah, at uh, the very end. scoring two points in the final five uh, fifty-four of the the basketball game. Don't derail us. Let's do Leafs yeah, first. Sorry, okay, I, did, I just didn't know that we were doing Leafs first. That's okay, well, I didn't. I didn't know that uh, Mark Giordano having the two uh, hundred foot accuracy was was that big a story. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that he's the biggest story. I would say that the. Uh, 60-goal scorer Austin Matthews having his second multi-goal game of the season. You know how many he had uh, multi-goal games through 44 games last season in a season in which he scored 60 goals? So he has two now. So one against the the Boston Bruins, that win against the Bruins mm-hmm. that was kind of the start of uh, of everything going positively for um, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then yesterday against the Winnipeg Jets. So that's two multi-goal games this season. Last year, he scored 60 goals through 44 games. How many multi-goal games do you think he had? Through this point in the season? Yep. I kind of remember him just scoring one every night, and he had long streaks. So I'm going to say only like six. Eight. Okay. Eight multi-goal games through 44 team games. I, I like that six was the conservative. Yeah, he only had six multi-goal yeah. games. Yeah, no, he was really good and scored many goals, including 50 and 50. Uh, no, Austin Matthews really good. And Austin Matthews good this season, but not, like, I don't think anyone's arguing, like, really, really good. Like, he's he's been basically nip and tuck with William Nylander for the team lead in, in goals and, and five-on-five goals, but now... He's got five in his last four games, and over that span, he's shooting 26%. Now, for the, for the season, he's shooting 12.8%, which would be a career low. If he just shot his career average, which is 16%, he'd have six more goals, and he'd be on pace for over 50 goals this season, which may be coming. It's also interesting, Blake, that this is this ramp up, and it was, I guess, starting to happen before the two games missed. Listen, I just went on a week vacation felt super refreshed the, the refreshed element of my week is starting to wear off by friday but it's still there taking a break personal mental health days or you know physical health days away from work they work for everybody they seem to be working for austin matthews i wouldn't know anything about this. no i was good yeah uh, yeah maybe you should i don't know consider taking so, a day off here's the thing is like if we're if we're assuming it is some sort of wrist or shoulder thing uh, one thing that hasn't come back, like, yes, the shooting percentage has been great. Uh, he's been not very good in the face-off dot, which is usually uh, a strength of his. So maybe those things go together. Maybe it's just random. Uh, I would have to study how sticky face-off percentage is game to game. Um, I think, look, part of this is a guy with a career shooting percentage of 16% was not going to, short of that arm falling off, was not going to be a 12% shooter the whole season. And in examining his not struggles, but like his his drop in offensive production this year, one of the things you most want to look at is, well, how many shots is he getting? Because that is, you know, we've done this with Ovechkin slumps over the years too. Is it is it actually a slump or is it just like, damn, you had a tough, a tough go of good goaltenders or, or just missing by a, you know, by a hair. But then you see Matthews with the, not the one, I don't think either of his ones last night, but he had one the other night that was just like an unbelievable angle and like fired off, looked like it fired off the very toe of his stick, just rocket right into the top corner. Uh, when you start seeing that stuff back and the kind of snappiness to his shot is back. Yeah, I think there, there's probably... We'll probably hear after the season that there was some injury stuff related and that maybe hurt his shooting mechanics or something like that, or just even his confidence level and letting it rip. But also a guy this talented, like was he's just, he's not going to finish the year with the worst shooting percentage of his career by far. That is going to 
shooting percentage is something that stabilizes enough mm-hmm. that like we're just it, it's kind of like you know if Steph Curry were shooting like 35% on three even if he had an underlying injury you still would expect eventually Steph Curry to be a 40% three-point shooter it's just it's going to happen eventually when you're at that level I think Austin Matthews is at that level yeah so he's really good we knew that um but yeah the idea that he might go from 60 goals to like 40 or even oh like yeah like 45 what a what a nightmare scenario for austin matthews which i mean he's on pace for for that in a a quote-unquote disappointing season for him the idea that he could go on an absolute bender here with the scoring touch is not out of the realm of possibility at all the 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 also the idea that the goaltending would bounce back for the maple leafs not out of the realm of possibility at all why do you have something else on matthews well i was just gonna say this guy scored 50 goals in 50 games last year like Mm. in season it's not like not only is it entirely possible he goes on a heater like if you are if we believe he is a 55 goal true talent guy like you're just you're gonna have some heaters over the course of the season because you score a lot of goals. Like it's, it's not uh I don't think it's uh, anything too surprising unless you were really down the, the path of, Oh, there's an underlying injury here causing it, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know. I don't think so. If, I, if there was, and, and all it took was like a two game absence to clear it up. Okay. It, yeah. It's hard to imagine that that was the reason why the shooting percentage was at a, a career low before that trending up now, but like, yeah, if it was such a, a minute injury that just taking two games off was going to clear it up and return this guy to 100%, that's a that's a curious-sounding injury. It sure is. Uh, guess what? They, I mean, I know the Islanders and Rangers are on the schedule ahead, but they also have the Canadians and, and the Senators soon, and those are not teams with strong save percentages. Mm. So I could see this continuing. Yeah, he's, he's riding a four-game goal streak. Again, five goals over that span. And uh, shooting 26%. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned it, Ely Samsonov. It's yet to lose in regulation on home ice. And <laughs> now this is becoming a storyline, or at least a, a line of questioning to Sheldon Keefe after no. these games because he's 12 0 1. He's got a 938 save percentage at home. Matt Murray on the road is 7 4 1 with a 929 save percentage. There you go. You got the split figured out. <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a West Coast trip coming up, Matt Murray, lock in. Samsonov, you stay at home. No, that's uh, there's that's nothing. Okay, so I, I agree it's nothing. There's also the Mitch Marner thing, right, where, like, the only game all season he hasn't got a point at home was that early season Dallas game. Yeah. And it's like, and they keep tracking that. It's like, oh, now the home point streak. I don't think there is, like, anytime there's something like this, I and I've said this before, is, like, you have to give me the why mm-hmm. for me to – be hooked into it otherwise it's just kind of like a statistical curiosity and nobody could explain to me it's the same with like home road splits like we, we did this with Barrios a lot last year yeah where i i came my my kind of consistent point was like i don't think he's better at home i think he's just bad right <laughs> yeah, now right and my guess with samsonov would just be like yeah he's kind of good yeah, he's kind of good. Um, Not amazing. He's kind of good, though. Yeah, it, it does make you... Th- okay, so we, we talked about coaching in this sport and how how much it impacts the, the the product on the ice. So let's let's talk about home and road in this sport compared to others. Because in basketball, we talk about the role players having difficulty shooting on the road, especially in postseason games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the NFL, it feels like that is has the strongest correlation to, to home road, but maybe not anymore. Um Soccer, I know it's a big deal. 
don't know, where would you rank it? I feel like baseball, I mean, the rules physically, the, the rules actually do change when you go on the road in baseball. So in theory, that should be the sport. And the rules definitely change in hockey also. When you're at home, you have last change. Mm-hmm. I guess I should have prepped you to like get some stats on this before the, the question pro- uh, popped up into my head. But like just like... Your, your gut feeling, where does hockey rank as, as far as the actual physical differences between home and road? Uh, pretty low. So, I, I mean, there's always going to be an element of comfort and sleeping in your own bed and going through your own routines and stuff like that. And even just, you know, the, the locker room's a little nicer for you and stuff like that. But statistically, like, it is soccer first and then, like, basketball by, like, a good margin yeah. before you get into baseball. And baseball, the reason isn't, that team, I mean, some of it is that teams like Colorado have had this very unique ballpark for a long time and have still never figured out how to optimize it mm-hmm. um, because they still, to this day, don't have an analytics department in 2023. Um, but like baseball, like even you get to the playoffs and you're like, okay, the better team will win like 55% of the time in this yeah. series. And that's the same at the, uh, at the like individual game level so um hockey somewhere in between basketball and baseball statistically i don't know like i i don't know that anything underneath that explains a dramatic goaltending split so you wouldn't say that because of this dramatic goaltending split that Ilya samsonov has that the toronto maple leafs have extra impetus to finish ahead of the Tampa Bay Lightning to have home ice in game seven Uh, of a first-round playoff series. I would say that's really important for things like you get the last change and you would prefer to start the series at home, especially if there's, you know, a couple off days heading into the series. I just don't think it is. Because, like, what you're saying, you could also then turn around and make the argument of, well, it doesn't matter if they get game seven at home because they'll just play Matt Murray in game seven on the road. And and you'll you'll win the series seven games to nothing. That's true. I don't think they'll let you play if you're up for nothing. But yeah. All right. Uh, that was today's top story. <laughs> Let's get to the turd that the uh, Raptors laid yesterday. Holy mm. cow. Like even the most ardent Raptors truthers, it's over, right? Like we can all just sit around the table and say, man, there's some good players on this Raptors team. They absolutely stink to high heaven in every respect, like wins, losses, underlying numbers, all of it. Defense, like they stank, stank, stank. Played a, a Timberwolves team on the back end of back-to-backs that got in at four in the morning. No Carl Anthony Towns, no Rudy Gobert. They scored yeah, two but points. They had and, Nas Reed. Yeah, they, correct. Yeah, no. So come the, on, <laughs> Luca Garza, who people weren't <laughs> sure would be athletic enough to play in the NBA, yeah. played fourteen See, minutes Matt, and was just fine there. So related to Matt Garza? No, probably not. I, I don't believe so. No. Yeah. I've never looked that up though. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Raptors stink, uh, yeah. and that's a, that's a good loss for the tank people, yeah. of which one I am I am a part. So 20 and 26 now on the season. They're a game and a half back of the Bulls for the last play-in spot. They're five back of avoiding the play-in altogether. I ran some, like, very dirty simulation stuff today to Ooh, see what the dirty. chances are that they could either avoid the play-in totally or get to the play-in and win. And we're talking about a one-in-three chance. So, like, let, let's let only count playoffs as you've won the play in and, and gotten in. So, you're one versus your, your seven-game series. About a one in three chance. So, so that's, 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 that's okay. really bad. Yeah, that's bad, but, but good. <laughs> yes, it's very bad. It also means the margin for error is extremely small. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also means that it's not going to be that tough to pivot out. 
Um, and it also means that, like, they're a move or two away from basically locking in that they're a lottery team. Well, okay, so I, I don't believe this was the case. Like, where do you think the decision finally came down from the front office to, to become a seller? Or do you not believe that that decision has been made? Well, I think that the Raptors front office is doing a good job leaving some shred of uncertainty around their direction. Is that just like, what, to, to, to try and boost the market? That, hey, man, you really have to move us. To, you really have to, to blow our doors off yeah. to get did OG read, Ananobi because we could, we could pivot. Did we, you read Doug Smith's piece in the Toronto Star this week? He kind of went into what the asking price would be for each of these guys. And if Doug's reporting is accurate, which it usually is, the asking price on these guys is astronomical individually. Yeah, sure. And that's, I mean, it makes sense to, look, again, I, I do think that this is a year where there are so many teams in it and it's so condensed at the bottom that there actually is a first mover advantage. Like if you sell first, and you get those extra couple games where you're not winning and you, you know, you convince a team, hey, you jumped the market, get in here now. But this front office hasn't usually operated like that. And most of the reporting has been that they'll grind this thing down to the wire. Whether that's because they haven't made a decision yet, I, I don't really think so. Like, I think this front office is too smart to look at a 20 and 26 team and like, yeah, they were playing better, quote-unquote, lately. They beat the Hornets twice and the Knicks in overtime, and they blew extremely <laughs> winnable games against shorthanded Bucks and Timberwolves teams and Hawks team, and two of those were on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. Like, this team, if this team was good, they would be on, like, a seven- or eight-game winning streak right now, given the circumstances that they played in. They've now become the team, as we saw before we came on air, Jason Tatum won't play tomorrow. They're now the team other teams oh, yeah. are resting guys against, like, yeah. You know what? Live to live to play another day. Uh, you could beat the Raptors shorthanded, and, and we've seen it time and again. So I think the front office is smarter than that. I think what they're really waiting it out for is, you know, and we still got three weeks here. Maybe they change, but they have decided that that first mover advantage is not as important as letting the market, you know, get aggressive and and you know have. I'm not saying a bidding war because I think there will be enough sellers that like if you. You know, if you're talking to the Raptors about Gary Trent and the Raptors have a hard line on, like, interesting player and unprotected first-round pick, say, and the Raptors grind that down to the wire and they're like, nope, we're not moving off of it. Well, you could pivot to Orlando and talk Terrence Ross for, like, mm -hmm. a fringy prospect in a second probably by the deadline. Like, there will be a point in time where the Raptors have to come off of those asking prices well and this but, well and what you just described kind of reminds me of the kyle lowry discussions right that they went down to the wire although a little different because they were like their market for lowry was extremely limited because they were only ever going to make moves that lowry was okay with sure gary trent it. jr i don't think they would care if he said <laughs> i really don't want to go to the sacramento <laughs> kings and they were like rashawn holmes come on down yeah. you're coming back for, like, I for hated gary trent lady jr. bird that yeah. stunk uh the third seed sacramento kings by the way yeah it's wild. so this is and, and i'm sure the front office is looking at well denver and memphis are neck and neck at the top of the western conference and both of those teams would probably love to get the one seed and home court through the West because the West playoffs are going to be hell. Yeah. And then they're probably looking at Sacramento, New Orleans, Dallas, all very, very tight in the middle. And then Minnesota, the Clippers, the Warriors, 
and the Suns all either like all out of a playoff position, potentially in a playing spot. And all of those teams are in win now mode. Mm -hmm. I would imagine they're looking at that. And then even in the Eastern conference, but to me, a Western conference thing makes a little bit more sense just given who the buyers are. Um, Like I'm sure they're looking at that and expecting that three weeks from now, if you have, you know, to use the same example, you have Gary Trent and you have asked for an interesting player in a first and Dallas is willing to offer that. And to this point, New Orleans hasn't been. And then you go to New Orleans and say, look, you're right next to Dallas in the standings. He could be the difference between playing that four or five series on the road or at home. Like, what are you going to do? We're going to give him to Dallas at this price. If you don't meet it or beat it, like that's probably what the front office is thinking. Um, I don't know. It's trade time. It's fun. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and yeah, the three the, weeks is an eternity for trade stuff, though. Like, we're going to talk it all under the ground because, like, not it's pretty rare for things to start happening now, buddy. Uh, three weeks feels like a blink of an eye compared to the NHL trade deadline, which is what, like, March 4th or yeah, something. The NHL trade deadline <laughs> is in the second round of the playoffs, <laughs> anyways. Okay, so yeah, they're gonna be sellers, they're gonna make a trade or two or three. Uh, this team is going to look very different uh, by the end of February. Um, Scotty Barnes looks like Scotty Barnes, though. Like, mm-hmm. this is, you are getting the best of, well, I mean, the best of all worlds was the Raptors are really good. They build off their <laughs> playoff La- appearance. Last year was the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, your your comparison to the Minnesota Timberwolves yesterday on the show was an, a really good one. And, yeah. Despite the victory over a terrible Raptors team, you'd rather be in the Raptors situation right now than the Timberwolves, who are in a play-in position in the Western Conference, but holy cow. Yeah, a play-in position with no picks and no financial flexibility, even as D'Angelo Russell could potentially walk. Uh, I will say it's clicking for Anthony Edwards. Like, I've always been an Anthony Edwards guy. Sure. He, he's real good. Yep. That's real, all. real good. Yep. Uh, and Scotty Barnes is good and finally looking real, real good yeah. again. In his last 10, he's averaging almost 20 points a game. And his true yeah. shooting is almost 60%. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, you can't... We do this um, with every player in every sport where we, in the moment, you look at the smaller sample. By the end of the season, though, Blake, we might be looking back, like, at the basketball reference page of Scotty Barnes and just saying, oh, yeah, no, that was an actual step forward or, you know, it wasn't a huge disaster season where... You know, maybe we'd have to be reminded that the president of the the basketball team flew on his private jet to go meet up with him in New York City and tell him, hey, get your stuff together. Look, the development isn't linear. Sometimes you got to hop on the PJ and give a guy a little nudge. Um, no, you're right, though. Like, already the numbers have basically caught up. He's he's now scoring a, a fraction of a point more than last year. Rebounding's basically the same. Assists are way up, which was even the case when um, we were – you know, when he wasn't playing as well. And the biggest thing these last 10, even 15 games is he is now getting to the free throw line like a machine. Yeah. And prior to some pretty vicious finishing yesterday in that game too. Yeah. And so last year he averaged fewer than three free throw attempts per game Uh, over the first, you know, I don't know, 30 games of the season or, or wherever you choose your cutoff. He was averaging fewer than, three free throw attempts a game again. And he was uh, down off of last year even. And he's been getting there five, six, seven times a game since then. And that's a, that's a big one. I think for, um, I mean, that's just an important sign of, of development. If a guy's going to be even a secondary scorer is, you know, look at the, look at Gary Trent, right. And, and how hard it is sometimes for, that's that player type to stack a lot of points when the three's not there. Now, Gary Trent has really good nights, even if the three's not there, but the free throw line, makes things 
easier. It's the you. most efficient shot in basketball. And it's the most reliable, right? Yeah. Like James Harden could shoot like garbage or DeMar DeRozan when he was with the Raptors could shoot like garbage. And you knew there was at least a little bit of a floor because they were going to get to the line. Yep. And getting to the line lets your defense set and it lets your guys get a little bit of a breather. And if you're playing 49 minutes a game in a 48-minute game like the Raptors starters do. <laughs> um, no, Fred only played 36 yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it was good uh, because Joe Wieskamp played 12 and Joe Wieskamp made every shot he attempted except for the one that he was blocked on. Wiesy, baby. Yeah, three of three from the line. He's six six. I had to go back. Matt Thomas was was six four. Matt Thomas is not six four. Okay. He <laughs> is listed at six foot four. Come on. But yeah, um, Joe Wieskamp is only a second year pro. So I guess there's still like some unknown there with him. His second round pick of the Spurs, right? And like... Pretty good debut, though, to, to, to jump into the rotation and hit all of your threes. I mean, is there reason to be interested, at least, in Joe Wieskamp? Yeah, I was interested in him at draft time. I, I spoke with him um, during the pre-draft process and came away, like, fairly impressed with the attitude he was taking in the pre-draft process, which is like, hey, uh... By the way, it's not a question of if I'm the best shooter in the draft. I am the best shooter in the draft. <laughs> okay. But this process to me is about showing teams that I'm more than that. Now, this is a guy coming off a, a junior year at Iowa where he shot over 46% on a good volume of threes. Like, yeah. this guy can shoot. He shot over 40% for his college career. Um, in the G League, he has shot the ball very, very well. Almost 40% on like eight attempts a game. Yeah, but again, going back to Matt Thomas, it's not everything because Matt Thomas and couldn't get it off, but he was right. uh, he was not 6'4", though, apparently. Right. I, I'm skeptical that Matt Thomas is 6'4". Now, the thing that Wieskamp has going for him is even if Matt Thomas is 6'4", 6'6 is bigger, right? That's and, two inches bigger. Yeah, and the thing with shooting specialists, <laughs> and this is like, this is overly reductive, but the difference between Matt Thomas and Duncan Robinson is that that couple of extra inches gives you additional room to get your shot off where, you know, Matt Thomas is, compared to me and you, incredibly athletic. By NBA standards, is not fast or a great burst or anything like that. And he's very smart at doing the J.J. Redick stuff of keeping himself moving off the ball and getting himself open. You know, C.J. Miles used to uh, call it carrying the threat. Like, whatever you're doing on the floor, everyone knows you're the shooter. So go through all these actions, even if it's not for you, like the shot is for you. But again, CJ miles was a guy who was six foot seven. Mm -hmm. um, it is easier to do that as a larger guy. It's easier to get that shot off. If you, you know, if you come off a screen and a guy's closing out to you and just kind of waving at the ball to try to get it. If you are shooting that from a couple inches higher, that's better. And then this is not the way you want to frame a prospect and like how you'd use them. But the bigger you are, the easier it is to, hide you a little bit on defense because yeah. size is still a tool on defense and Wieskamp is not good defensively but he does you know he does the Raptors he things like he averaged over a steal and over a block in the G League like that's not a ton and he's you know when he's on the floor he's probably going to be your worst defender but it's you easier take it, to do that with a six foot six guy with like a six nine wingspan than it is like a six three guy well especially when he's shooting 100 percent from three yeah a hundred percent for three. Mm -hmm. uh, sign me up. Matt Thomas, by the way, uh, shooting uh, forty percent on threes for his career now. Yeah, still but is, kicking it. Is is he still playing? I was no. uh, Yeah, I, I, I thought he was out of the league. No, uh, he was with the Bulls last year. Yeah. All right, had a had an okay season, but he will head back overseas with a over forty percent career three point shooting mark Sick. In, in the NBA. Yeah, that was Wee's Camp Corner. All right, when we come yeah. back, it's uh, divisional playoff 
round weekend in the NFL. Highmark Stadium, the site of the most anticipated postseason game yet in the NFL. Bills and Bengals. We will talk to Nate Geary, Bills host on WGR next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, NFL Divisional Weekend, all eyes on Highmark Stadium uh, for Sunday's game between the Bills and Bengals, a game, obviously, uh, that was scheduled during the regular season that we didn't get to see conclude because of the DeMar Hamlin situation that unfolded in Cincinnati. But we uh, we get a couple of teams coming off narrow victories against teams that they should have maybe Blown out, but didn't. They got through it. Uh, let's talk to Nate Geary, Bills host on WGR. Nate, how's it going? Good, gentlemen. How are we doing? I'm doing okay. So let's talk about the fact that, yeah, the Bills got past Skylar Thompson, but only barely. Uh, and I know the Bengals only barely got past a, a, a very, uh, well, shorthanded, at least at quarterback, a Baltimore Ravens team. Does that impact the way you view this game at all? That neither team looked all that great a, a week ago. It doesn't really affect it, no. And I would say the biggest reason why is anytime you're playing a team for the third time, um, like you know, they know the government secrets, man. They they know they know the nuclear codes, you know. And I think that that's an important contextual piece to both teams struggling to beat division opponents that you know they'd played pretty recently, and and really for this for the Bengals as recently as the week before, um, in week 18 at the regular season finale. So. Um, they're, they're, the, the Dolphins know how they want to try to defend Josh Allen. They, they hold up, Nate. You're just a, you're you're in a popcorn machine. So we're going to remove you from the popcorn machine. We're going to wait till all the popcorn is popped and then reconnect with you. Um, I don't think there's an advantage for either team because they both played like garbage. Uh, I would say the advantage probably lies in the Bills that they have a more healthy offensive line than the. Cincinnati Bengals, who are very banged up. And this is, I mean, Joe Burrow knows how to, to play football from his back, apparently, because, like, that's the whole thing the last two years is that he's, like, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. But if I was going to point to, well, two things that are the biggest factors in this game is the Bengals' banged-up offensive line, and it's Josh Allen, the, the turnover thing that continues to happen here now, 22 uh, this season, including uh, the three last week. All right, we've got Nate, who is uh, outside of the popcorn machine now. Hello, Nate. You back? Yes, I've made it. I've made it outside of the popcorn machine. So well, well done. Where yeah, were you? So it, yeah, where I was. Okay, so both of these teams, right? No, I, I don't think you should take much out of either matchup against, you know, listen, against division opponents that Cincinnati played them in Week 18, and the Ravens and the Bills uh, played them in Week 15. So I, I think these are two teams that, in the Bengals and Dolphins, I'm sorry, in the Ravens and Dolphins, that both know their opponents very well. Um, I thought that the Bills probably should have blown out the Dolphins. Um, if you look at the raw statistics, I mean, the, the Bills outgained the Dolphins by, you know, 270 yards in that game. Um, yards per play were almost double in that game, whereas you look at that Cincinnati and, and Ravens matchup, that was a really close matchup. In fact, I, I, I really think the Ravens probably should have won. Um, where I look at the, the Dolphins game, a couple of key drops, a bad throw from Josh Allen, an unfortunate, you know, tipped ball from Cole Beasley. That's an interception in the first play of the half. 
Josh Allen fumbles and it's you know bounces off his face mask into the uh, waiting arms of a you know Dolphins defender. I think there's a little bit of flukiness that Bills Dolphins game. It, it never as close as the score always was in that game after they went up seventeen to nothing. It didn't really feel close, and I think that's kind of the biggest difference between the Bills Dolphins game and the Bengals and Ravens. So um, I'm not really going to take either from. I'm not going to take much from either matchup, and and really the biggest reason is those are two teams that have played three times. These this Bengals and Bills team, as they're currently constructed, have never finished a game. So I think that's maybe the thing that I'm most excited to kind of unravel is what it looks like. So when you look at where the Bills' advantages may be in this game, this is obviously uh, a battle of two very good offenses, both top five by DVOA. Uh, the Bills a bit of an edge on the on the defensive side. If you look at some of those uh, more advanced metrics, one thing the Bills don't do a ton of they're not bad at it but they're they're pretty average when it comes to pressuring the quarterback and taking advantage of you know holes in the line when when you look at the Bengals as banged up as that offensive line is um do you see the bills tweaking the the aggression level at all when it comes to pressuring joe burrow and trying to put him on his back i don't think so and i don't think they should want to um I don't think the – listen, Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the league last year, and they made it to the they made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, to, to say that sacks matter, I think in this matchup, I think might be a little overblown and overrated. I, I think a few of the Bills, I think you want to do a lot of rushing three and dropping eight. Um, and, and I think the real big reason for that is they've got three wide receivers, and I think a tight end in Hayden Hurst, that could do real damage and – as much as you maybe don't want to give Joe Burrow the time back there to sit and wait, I, I think the longer those plays develop and the further down the field those receivers get, um, the less likely they're going to have the type of success. I think the, the thing about this Bengals team is you want to, just like anybody trying to face the Bills, what, what would you, if you're a defense defending Josh Allen, the Bills offense, what, do you, what would you consider a win, right? I think you'd consider a win anytime they turn around and hand the ball to Devin Singletary. And I feel the same about this Bengals offense. Anytime you could convince them pre-snap that they should turn around and hand the ball to Joe Mixon, I think you're winning. So for me, in this matchup, it's can you stop the, the quick passing game? Can you make sure that Joe Burrow has to get to his second and third and fourth read? Not to say that he's Tua or one of these other quarterbacks that you know is, is number one in the league on their first read and then 30th on second, third, and fourth reads. But I think the, the longer you force Joe Burrow to hold the football, the longer – um, it stays in his hand. I think the better off you are. And frankly, the the lighter the box that you can show them pre-snap and, and really force Joe Burrow to turn on the hand the ball off to Joe Mixon, the better off you are. Um, do the Bills miss Von Miller? I, I mean, yeah, this was the fifth best team in football in terms of pressure rate uh, when rushing only four before Von Miller's injury. They're 27th in rushing four in terms of pass rush win rate uh, without Von Miller. And they've, they've really blitzed at the highest percentage they have at any point in Leslie Frazier's career as the defensive coordinator. That cannot continue in this matchup. I don't want to see a lot of bringing five, bringing six, simulated blitzes against this Bengals, this Bengals offense because that's how Joe Burrow – that's almost a cat-and-mouse game that they want to lure you into. So I think for me, as much as everybody wants to talk about Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa and obviously Leo Collins since the last couple of games and now for the season, is a big deal. Um, I think it's only a big deal if the Bills can rush three and still find ways to generate pressure. Otherwise, I've got no interest in this Bills team trying to be overly aggressive and, and, and blitz Joe Burrow. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Um, 
the the eyes are on Josh Allen as they always are. But like when it comes to the turnover thing, which is is the the narrative was building during the regular season, and there were some some significant red zone turnovers. But now with the the three last week, which allowed the Dolphins to hang around or get back into that game, twenty two on the season. Yeah, it's it's it. I kind of thought he was over this after those two postseason games uh, against New England and Kansas City last year. Where, where are you with Josh Allen and the turnovers? Um, I think it's largely overblown. I think this is kind of who he has been over the course of his career. When you have the arm strength and the ability to put the football in the places that Josh Allen can, it, there's a, a degree of risk that in, that's involved with it. And I, if, if I was going to look at one thing, Listen, the, the turnovers with Ken Dorsey compared to Brian Dable are pretty similar. I mean, I think he threw 14 interceptions last year with Brian Dable as his offensive coordinator. He's got 15 this year with Ken Dorsey as his offensive coordinator. So uh, to, to maybe simplify it as is as, 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 as easy to say, well, it's the offensive coordinator, it's a new scheme, he's more turnover prone. No, I, I just think at the end of the day, Josh Allen recognizes in the course of the game that he can make any throw. And sometimes when Josh Allen throws an interception, he's pretty much bound to throw that second one because it feels like he almost chases the points lost on that first interception. And that's going to happen to a degree last week. But I also think last week's matchup against Miami is a little bit of an anomaly. You're not going to see a team blitzing Josh Allen 60% of these dropbacks. It's just not going to happen. Um, you're not going to see third and 15 in the Bengals or the Chiefs or whoever they could potentially play in the, in the Super Bowl run zero blitz. It's just that, That's not something you're going to see a lot of teams other than the Miami Dolphins, other than Josh Boyer. And now with firing Josh Boyer, I'm not sure you're going to see the Dolphins do that with the frequency in which they did that as well. So I think that that matchup really dictated a lot about how the Bills called their plays. Um, but listen, this is a guy that sort of teeters the line of reckless um, and aggressiveness, right? And and it's almost like you, 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 it's kind of got that Brett Favre gene a little bit, right, where he just makes throws where sometimes you're like, it's just, there's no reason to make that throw. And, and, and I think about the first interception last week to John Brown. Like that, that to me is maybe the best example of like throw it in the dirt, throw it out of bounds, get to the next down. Um, and, and maybe we're talking about a different football game. So, yeah, for me, um, I, I've got no interest in putting a governor on him. I've got no interest in trying to limit or, or, or you know, tell him he needs to scale it back as much as everybody maybe outside of Buffalo thinks that. I think this is who the guy is, and what, for everything that makes him great, can also make you scratch your head at times. And, and I think it's sort of the whole experience that you just kind of got to get down with. And at the end of the day, he's the reason they're thirteen and three and playing in the divisional round. Um, and you know, will he be potentially the reason they don't win? I mean, maybe. But I mean, for everything you have to live with, Josh Allen. I mean, he gets you here. He, he makes you a competitor. He makes you a legitimate contender. You got to kind of live with some of the downfalls of that as well. I mean, the, the Bills rely on him more than any other team relies on their quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's, he accounts for more than 85% of the team's offensive output. He's their best running back. He's their best thrower. And at times in the playoffs, he's been a guy that catches the football too. So um, I, for this team, there's, they rely on him straddling that line. I think he can make better decisions sometimes, but I think asking him to move off of that line is doing him and your franchise a disservice. Okay, so Nate, let's say things go well uh, for the Bills this weekend. Let's say they don't go well for my Jaguars. So we're looking at Bills Chiefs uh, for the third playoffs in a row. Um, 
over 50,000 tickets reportedly sold for the potential neutral site game between uh, the Bills and the Chiefs. I know the team can't really look ahead to that matchup, but how are you feeling about a potential neutral site AFC championship? And what is the, the temperature of fans in Buffalo around that decision? Yeah, I think um, for the most part, everyone's pretty interested in this current matchup. And, and I think the big reason is I think everybody knows kind of what to expect with the Chiefs, right? They, they've beaten the Chiefs, Chiefs the last two years in, in the regular season, and obviously they really should have beat them last year. And 13 seconds happened, and everybody remembers that, right? Um, it's sort of the devil you don't know, and that's kind of why I think the anxiety and the, the preparation and the obsession is really about this Bengals team because it's like, this Bills, the Bills and Bengals with Burrow and Allen at quarterback, we got, we got to see two, you know, basically one and a half drives of both of those teams. And yeah, people want to point that the, the Bengals were moving the ball against the Bills and the, the Bengals would have won because they moved down the field and scored a touchdown on the first drive and the Bills only settled for a field goal. But I, I, I don't really subscribe to that. Like, I'm not sure anybody here is looking forward to next week in, in a neutral site matchup against Kansas City just because. I think there's a real concentration on this on this Bengals matchup. And listen, I mean, they, they make it to next week, and it's Bills Chiefs again. I think everybody kind of knows what to expect what in that game, who they've got to stop, what it looks like, and, and kind of how they do it. And people want to point to, yeah, well, the Bills don't have Von Miller, but guess what? The Bills didn't have Von Miller last year, but you know who they didn't have as well? They didn't have Trey White last year. And there's a really good chance that the Bills make it to the AFC Championship game that they would have Micah Hyde available to them. And I think that would be a huge energy boost for that defense. They'd have Trey White. And sure, obviously missing Von Miller would be a huge loss. But, you know, having Trey White back, having a potential Micah Hyde back for that AFC championship game, I think would be um, you know, a, a really big shot in the arm for this Bills defense, who, by the way, you know, has struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks and going into the end of the season. But to your point, I mean, they're still top five in DVOA and, top five in points against. So th- this is a very good Bills defense. Uh, I-, I think they know what to expect come, you know, a week from Sunday, if they've got to face the, the Chiefs again in the championship game to, to make it to a Super Bowl. Um, but I-, I think all hands on deck and-, and all eyes and attention right now towards this Bengals matchup. Can't wait for it. Uh, Nate, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. There's Nate Geary. Bills host on WGR. Neutral site AFC championship game. Only if the Bills and Chiefs win against our Jaguars, which is not going to happen. They yeah. can't build. You can't beat the Jags twice Canada's in one season. Jaguars. Yeah, not going to happen. I have no idea. Uh, probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, if there's ever been a team that's played like, has there ever been a team in any sport in any game that's played with more house money than the Jaguars are going into Arrowhead? this Saturday. I mean, they, first of all, this was basically a redo of the Lawrence rookie year. Cause they no. urban mired it. And then they started the season out two and six. And then they were down 27, nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So no, they start the season out two and six. And then like them even getting to that game no was so ridiculous and required the Titans to stumble and uh, them to go, you know, a couple months only losing a fairly close game to the chiefs. And then, uh, the disaster game against the Lions that I was at, of course. Yep. Um, yeah, there's nothing like if you are going into this as a Jaguars fan, which I am, uh, you have nothing to sweat. And that chiefs game last time out was not really as close as 27, 17. Like the chiefs were up 20 to nothing. And then chiefs turned the ball over three times in that game too. Yeah. And like one of those, they, they also, the Jaguars uh, first touchdown in that game was like a 35 second drive 
at the very end of the first half where like the chiefs kind of just like mentally started the half <laughs> early, yeah. I think. Um, and then, you know, once the Jags got anywhere close, Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were like, yeah, yeah, yeah here's one extra touchdown. Uh, go away, go away. Um, but yeah, this, this Jags team should be playing with that kind of like looseness and confidence. Like if I'm Doug Peterson, I'm going in there and I'm saying like, I'm, I'm not showing anything from the first half of that last game. I'm not showing anything from the first 20, nothing part of that chiefs game earlier in the season. I'm showing the look at what we can do, not mm-hmm. what we can't do because you are like easily the biggest underdog of any team this weekend. And like narratively, and in terms of where teams are on their development curve, like they're not supposed to be here at all. Not even supposed to be here. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, Brian Dable is going to win coach of the year, but man, Doug Peterson, it felt like that narrative was written so early. Like, if you included the postseason, yeah. Doug Peterson would be. The yeah, and year. honestly, if any well, voters looking at it, like, in detail, it's like, yeah, well, Doug Peterson had to spend the first eight games of the season undoing Urban Meyer. <laughs> That's right. All right, when we come back, uh, Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow, and uh, Leafs and Habs in the uh, 7 o'clock game. We'll talk to Renault Lavoie, TVS Sports, next. The fan drive time continues. Sportsnet 590, The Fan.